When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. First, my apologies. We didn't have one on Wednesday or Friday because I had to do so much work Wednesday around the Joe Shane press conference for the Giants. And then on Friday, I was at the Garden for Hank Knight. So we are back with the podcast. And Monday means EJ Raddick, and he's nice enough to join us here on a Monday. How are you, sir? Staying warm? I'm good. Yeah, we had a lot of snow down in uh, you know the South Jersey Shore area where I am, and uh, but you know, hey, what are you going to do? You, you battle through. That's about all you can do. That's all you really can do. You're absolutely right. And and uh, let's let's start yeah. this off with um, with Friday. Uh, we were both there uh, for the Lundquist ceremony and. Uh, Say what you want about MSG, whether you're a fan of the Rangers or Knicks or not or whatever. They know how to put on a ceremony. I thought they were spot on with it. I, I thought one of the stars of it were you know, your colleague, Kevin Weeks. I thought I thought he had a, hit a home run with his speech uh, introducing Hank. Yeah, I thought so, too. I called him. Uh, we spoke yesterday, and uh, he's going to be joining me on the NHL Now program uh, later today. And... Um, yeah, I thought he did a great job. It's not easy. I mean, to be up in front of, you know, 18,000 fans there at a, at a very uh, special ceremony for a friend and a colleague, uh, so to speak, for Kevin, and and then to have to deliver under those circumstances. But Kevin is, uh, he's got a great personality. He's, uh, you know, pretty well-known and well-liked in the hockey community. I thought he did a great job. So uh, I was happy I was happy for him, and it did, as you, you know, as you mentioned. I agree with you. I mean, I've been at a number of these over the years. I guess I've been around now. So, you know, I can remember, you know, nights for the Leeches and Graves and Messier and Richter. And, you know, these are all, uh, you know, special nights. And they're really handled beautifully by everybody over at Madison Square Garden over many years now. And it's interesting because, you know, you've grown up in the New York metropolitan area, following the local teams. You grew up a Yankee fan, so you think of Don Mattingly. And I'm, I mean, as a Met fan, I think of David Wright. There have been many players that connected with the fans and were remembered and loved and endeared by the fans that didn't win a ring. But Hank seems to be, like, on a different level. Like, he... He had an immediate connection with his fan base, and it's a love affair that has lasted going on two decades now, and I think it'll live forever. And there's not too many players that can be held on that kind of platform, on that kind of high level, without a ring. And it's pretty special what he's been able to accomplish. Yeah, I think that, you know, he came to the Rangers at really the right time. The fan base was eager for uh, some success and a turnaround. Um, you remember when he arrived after the work stoppage in 0506, you know, a lot of people thought the Rangers were going to finish dead last that year. And uh, I think Sports Illustrated at the time, in a different world, right? The Sports Illustrated hockey preview predictions had a little weight. And, uh, you know, they were, I think they picked him to be 30th out of 30. 
and they had missed the playoffs for seven straight years prior to that. And, um, you know, you mentioned Kevin Weeks. Kevin Weeks was really supposed to be goalie to start the season, and Henrik Lundqvist had come over from Sweden where he'd had a, an amazing uh, career and certainly last couple of seasons in the Swedish Elite League where he was a dominant player in that league. And uh, it was Jeremy Jager and all those Czech players, and uh, they went on. They had a great regular season and got into the playoffs again. Didn't go so well in the postseason, but really up until the Olympic break that year, it was a happy, happy time for Ranger fans. And so that kicked it off. You know, Henrik Lundqvist was the king, and he was this uh, great goaltender that was going to lead them for many years, and he and he really did just that because. Uh, you know, watching goalies over the years, Donnie, the guys that are able to be consistently good for five, six, ten, fifteen years, I mean, it's really rare. And, uh, you know, Marty Berger was able to do it in New Jersey, and uh, Henrik Lundqvist was just, you know, just that with the Rangers. I mean, he was he was the guy they leaned on for 15 years, and they didn't win the Stanley Cup. They got to the final. They got to the conference finals on a number of occasions, and they were a really competitive team. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the fact that they didn't win was really not in his, necessarily no. in his control. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, was, they were always kind of a player short in those situations. So, Henrik Lundqvist, uh I mean, he was a great, great goaltender for many, many years, and Ranger fans loved him. And, he, and, and you know, think about it, too. I mean, he, off the ice, I mean, there was no missteps. <laughs> he just no. came and he competed and he played hard. And, you know, the fans, even in the post games, you know, when our friend uh, and colleague John Giannone would be interviewing him after games on MSG, you could see the, and he talked about it the other night, the, the losses wore on him. And uh, fans, when they watch, and they see a guy that's working hard and that, you know, he's really, you know, really heartbroken by losing. I mean, that's how they are. So they respond to that as well. So, so uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why Henrik Lundqvist was beloved by, by the Rangers fans and hockey fans. And it was a beautiful night for him. And uh, we wish Hank and his great family nothing but the best. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of them between TV stuff and other endeavors that he's uh, – planning on getting into he's got a lot of he's got a lot of runway ahead of him no he certainly does and and the way he dresses runway is the perfect uh word you use there and and i i found it very interesting because i started working for the rangers his first year so i i got to see all of it whether doing play-by-play pre and post and around there for basically every game and we kind of set the standard for local hockey in New York with Marty Brodeur, like with all the wins and all the championships. And Marty was the exact opposite. You couldn't tell whether he won the game or lost the game. You know, no matter how bad, he, he didn't seem to affect him. And I always, I always credited his longevity to that because he didn't allow the losing to wear him down. And watching Hank early in his career... If I was to guess how long he'd be in the league, I would have guessed a shorter period of time just because I thought he would have gotten burnt out by where, why he wore his emotions on his sleeve. But he, he defied a lot of the odds that way because usually players that are that emotional, that take losses that hard, don't stick around very long. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's mentally taxing and it can wear you out. And I think he learned to deal with it over time. But uh, there's no question it was he was an intense competitor and 
talking to Steve Aliquette the other day. Uh, you know, Steve talked about his work habits and practice, and he said, you know, as the backup, you don't want to get outworked by the starter. He goes, but the guy would never get off the ice. He goes, it was very frustrating. <laughs> right. <laughs> the situation. So, um, you know, he was a competitor, and he was he was somebody who put in the time. I mean, people always, you know, we have everybody as young kids dream to to reach the the pinnacle of different sports. And just another example of, you know, some people are blessed with the ability, so you have to have that. But, you know, it's all that work that goes on behind the scenes. And Hendrick Buck was working with Benoit Lair for many, many years. Uh, they refined that uh, his game. And, uh, you know, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he had a great, great career. It's unfortunate that they couldn't get, you know, to win a Stanley Cup. But, you know, it doesn't really... That doesn't define him to me. I uh, I didn't see. It wasn't like he was in games where I thought, boy, they should have won. Right. And you know, I just thought that you know he gave his he laid it down the line every night, and he was he gave the Rangers a chance to win every time he was in that. So I don't think you could do much more than that. Yeah, you always looked at it as you know, however far you got, you got there because of him. Not you know, he didn't hold them back an ounce, and and that's why you really don't. Um, you know, judge him based on the lack of rings. Just what what he did to that franchise. You know, before he got there, they were going nowhere, and they became you know significant. And and now the modern day Rangers um, hit a little bit of skids here. Three consecutive games in which they've blown a, a two goal lead. They did uh, get a sneak a win against Seattle yesterday, and Gerard Gallant seemed more frustrated with that performance than the previous two that they lost, but. Do you look at them now as maybe it kind of coming to roost a little bit, the lack of production five-on-five, five, kind of you know beating the analytics and, and surprising people and maybe the worm starting to turn? Or, or does it really kind of tell you just how important Adam Fox is to this team? Yeah, well, that was the first thing I was going to say is that Adam Fox has been out for, what, two and a half of those games. Right. So uh, he's a high-end player on that team. And when he's out, it not only means that he's not in the lineup, it also affects Ryan Lindgren, who plays with him, and so that changes the pairs and makes things a little bit different for the Rangers, right? So, um, you know, I mean, this is an 82-game schedule. The Rangers have really overachieved to this point in my mind. I mean, because they've, they've had rare cases where they haven't beaten teams they should beat. I mean, Columbus was really one of the first exceptions that I can remember all year Yeah, where that was a game. We thought they were going to win or they should win based on those teams going into the game, and they didn't. So um, now Columbus, to be fair to them, you know, they had taken a beating the night before from Calgary, and I think the pride of all these, you know, the pride in that in any locker room is going to bubble up. And, uh, you know, Rangers lost Fox in the game. The Jackets got going, and that was that. So hopefully Adam Fox is going to be uh, healthy and back in the lineup sooner than later. The Rangers are going to get a little break at some point, and, uh, you know, it'll be up to Gerard Gallat and company to kind of, you know, kind of get settled in after the All-Star break and uh, after the break that they have and, you know, focus on the task at hand over the second half of the season. I mean, but this is a really good team. I think the challenge, Donnie, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, you do you do all, a lot of the, you know, you're either doing the pre and post or you're doing the games. Is I just think I would like to see the Rangers be more successful against the better teams in the second half. You know, the, some of those teams that uh, you know we look at as legit cup contenders when they go head to head. So uh, 
you know, that's the that's the target for me is are the Rangers going to be able to, you know, when they take on Carolina, they got Florida on Tuesday night, but, uh, you know, the Tampas and Pittsburghs were playing well. And when you cross over into the West and you play the teams left on your schedule out there, are they going to be able to come up with good performances and get wins in those games? That will be kind of how I'll kind of look at the Rangers yeah. over the second half because we – you know, they've piled up a lot of points. They're going to be in the playoffs. It's just a matter of, are they a team that is ready to give somebody a trouble in the playoffs, or are they a team that has advanced past 15 or so teams but maybe isn't ready to get past, like, that final seven or eight? So that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, fans always jump to the sweep of the home-and-home home against Tampa. Uh, they split the two meetings with Florida. Um, but... You you look at the thirty six games they have left. They'll have thirty five after Tuesday's game, tomorrow's game against Florida, and they've got four games with Pittsburgh. Haven't played Pittsburgh yet. How crazy is that? Played them eight times last year, and you're going to be like fifty games into the season before you play Pittsburgh. Three games with Carolina. Those are seven games of the thirty five right there against two real high end teams. Haven't played St. Louis yet. Um, still have another game left with Tampa. Two more games with Boston. Uh, so they've got a lot. They're going to have a lot of difficult games. Most of them will be home, but still, they're going to get seriously tested here. I think they've built up enough uh, equity in the bank to make the playoffs. But you're right. I don't know if they're going to be able to stay in the top three. They might have to settle for a wild card, which will, will which will assure them of having to play a high end team in the first round. So I think these last. Uh, 35 games after Tuesday, they'll have a nice two-week break, are going to be very, very telling on exactly where this team is going to finish. Yeah, I think those games with Pittsburgh will be a great test for them, um, and for Pittsburgh, actually. Um, and, you know, you talk about those games with Tampa when they beat Tampa. I mean, you got to remember, I mean, Tampa was coming out of a lot of issues at that time, right? Where Brian Elliott played the one game down there. They got everybody back. It was their first game back, some of them, for that game in the Garden. So, you know, hey, listen, the Rangers took advantage of it. So good for them. But reality for me is I think, you know, when everybody's at their best, yeah. that's that's the challenge. So, uh, you know, hopefully, like I said, hopefully out of box is going to get back healthy. Hopefully the Rangers are going to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, it'll be just a really good test for them against uh, that schedule that you mentioned there because there's a lot of there's a lot of good challenges for them in the second half of the season for sure. Um, Vander Kane hooks up with the Oilers. We knew that was going to happen as soon as he was cleared to play. Contribute, scores a goal in their win against Montreal. And looks like anybody's putting a touchdown against them. That's crazy. But four straight wins for Edmonton. Uh, is, is Kane enough? for them or are there still work to be done there for the Oilers to kind of get back to what they were at the beginning of the season and still sneak into the playoffs? Well, I mean, the West is so wide open, specifically the Pacific Division. I mean, you know, LA and Anaheim are playing really well. They're currently sitting two and three in the division, but look, if you look at it, Calgary's points percentage is actually the second best in the division and they played, they've got games in hand on just about everybody. Edmonton has got some games in hand as well. They've been playing better of late, so that's going to be a. I mean, that's going to be a. I mean, an old barroom brawl to get to the playoffs in the Pacific Division because there might not be a wild card out of that division with what's gone on in the Central, right? So that's going to be a battle. As for Edmonton, um, 
They're riding a little bit of a soft schedule right now. They were able to beat Vancouver in overtime when Vancouver was playing, I think, a third or fourth goalie, and they're missing some guys due to COVID issues. That, so they won that game. A good, they had a good shootout win against Nashville, so that that's a good win. And then they, they went in and beat Montreal the other night, and now they've got Ottawa tonight. Um, so, you know, after that long stretch where they couldn't get out of their own way, they they've taken advantage a little bit of the schedule, which is good for them. And they also beat Calgary. That started off this little run for themselves, so that's a nice win when they rallied in that game. Um, Kane has every reason to just shut up and play and, and play hard. I mean, he's a good player. There's no there's no doubting that he's a good player. Um, the question in a short and in a short window here, I mean he doesn't you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for him maybe to screw up the locker room and in two months, I mean, I think everybody understands that you know they're in a they're in a pretty significant chase to make the playoffs, and so and it's really it's incumbent on I think if Andrew to go in there and just play and 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 try to get you know just try to be focused on being a player, and if he does that, it'll be fine. Uh, they're still got some challenges on defense; they still have a big problem in goal. Uh, and again, when the schedule gets harder, we'll see. But Evander Kane certainly helps them and gives them a little bit more depth offensively, takes some of the pressure off the two big dogs, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. And, um, you know, it was weird the other night, right? The Oilers score seven goals in the game, and McDavid doesn't get a point in that right. game. And they, I mean, I guess the news is they score seven, and he doesn't get a point. But it is unusual for Connor. Uh, you know, by his standards of late, uh, he hasn't uh, been as dynamic, I guess, as he's been as he has been most of his career. But uh, you know, I'm sure he'll get back to the, the normal Connor McDavid pace, which is out of this world. And Leon Dreisaitl, I mean, he's just been he's been unbelievable. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I still think they got a problem to fix the goal. I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that based on what's available, but yeah. I guess we'll see if Kenny Holland can have it out of his head. Now, speaking of what's available, word is that Carey Price could be back soon for Montreal. Obviously, the Canadians aren't going anywhere other than you know competing for the first overall pick in the draft uh, coming up in, in the summer. But is he movable? Is he something that Montreal would, lie to, would try to move? Well, a couple of things about Carey Price and, and the Canadians. I mean, first of all, you know, he had the talk yesterday – to the to the media, you know, he talked about going through the the uh, substance program and feeling really good about that, and, and he benefited greatly from it. So that's really great news. He looked good. Apparently, though, he's got big problems with the knee. He's tried to kind of get back going again, playing oh, twice now in the last couple of months, and uh, both times he's had setbacks, and so now he's trying to ramp up again. He has another setback that would likely shut him down for the year. So you have to start then worrying about his, his health. Does he need another surgery? Um, so that's, you know, you got to worry about if he can even get on the ice at all this year. And in the situation they're in, maybe it's not, maybe you shouldn't be really trying to get him back on the ice this year, other than to see that he can play. So if you are going to move him, teams or uh, teams see that, yes, he's healthy enough to play. Um, I think uh, I get the sense that Terry Price's time in Montreal is coming to an end. I think the Montreal Canadiens really need to, to undergo a complete rebuild uh, based on what's happened there. I don't know if I've ever seen a franchise done, and you tell me. I mean, 
a team that went to the final in their sport one year, and then the next year were a complete disaster. I mean, the Montreal Canadiens may end up being the weakest team in the cap era in an 82-game season. And that, you know, I can remember Colorado a couple of years ago before they got themselves turned around. They had a year where they had like 40 points. So to be worse than that over the course of an 82-game schedule is hard to imagine. But uh, they've really taken a nosedive. So they need a complete rebuild. I think, to, you know, truth be told, I think Carey Price might want to uh, maybe out in Western Canada or the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he's from there originally. The question will be, Don, with the contract that he has, let's assume he can get back healthy. With the contract that he has, who are the suitors? How much does Montreal have to eat? What what can they get back? Um, So this is, uh, you know, I think this is probably job one for Jeff Wharton and Kent Hughes in Montreal to sort through the Carey Price circumstance because once they do that, then they can start to get to the other things. I do think, though, that they, you know, they talked about maybe trading Jeff Petrie, who's been unhappy in Montreal, being separated from his family in these kind of crazy times we live in. So... You know, I, could th- I think Jeff Petrie is a right shot defenseman could be available for somebody on the market, and Ben Sherrod is an unrestricted free agent. So the Montreal Canadiens and, you know, that new team there running the, th- running the thing, they got a lot of work to do. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, I guess the Carey Price thing is the biggest headache or the biggest concern because it's so much money and he's been mm. such a big part of their franchise. You got a second for a couple of tweets? Let's go. All right, Johnny Bring Pajama em. says... What's up with Barry Trotz and his coaching rookies, or lack thereof? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess is he referring to Oliver Wallstrom? I, I think mean, he is. Someone who doesn't play <laughs> as much as maybe fans would like. I mean, I think there's a yin and a yang there about, you know, there's a certain expectation that this is the way you have to play for us. And I know there was a play recently when, uh, and I forget which game it was in, but he was, Wallstrom was in the defensive zone. He was on the he's a right shot. He was in, like, what would be the left wing side of the ice if you're a, offense, if a defending player, you know, forward. And he was kind of just threw the puck right through the middle and led to a turnover. And it was really an egregious play. I mean, it's a play that, you know, the Islanders and any team that wants to have structure, they're just, they're not going to have that play. And I think Barry sat Walsham after that. But I think they've got to, they've got to try to figure out a way to get him, you know, to, to deal with whatever the mistakes are going to be and coach him on the fly, so to speak, because they need the goals. And they need somebody that, they need Oliver Walsh to become a player. Because with that group right now, I mean, this is, the team, when you look at their forward group, they got some older guys there, and they need like, some younger players to step forward, and they need somebody that can be a guy like the Walsh, the guy that can score from distance. He's got a great shot, and they need him to be a player there. So I, I think it's it's tricky because again, watching that video of that particular play, you can't have that if you're if you're playing within structure. I mean, you have to make better plays than that. But I think there has to be some room for to try to coach on the fly. That, that's not easy because, you know, the Islanders are in a death struggle right now. I mean, for me, I think that I think they're kind of finished. I mean, now, if for some reason Boston or somebody would falter and open the door, maybe they could still climb through that window. But 
to do so, they can't afford losing at home to Mini, losing at home to L.A. I mean, they, they pretty much, the outer season has been beat the bad teams and lose to the good teams so far this year, and that's not going to be near enough in the circumstance they're in. But I do think that uh, they've got to try to figure out something with Wallstrom, and, uh, you know, I can see fans being concerned about that. But Barry Trotz has been a pretty good coach over a long yeah. time, but... Uh, that's a tough nut. You know, you're trying to make, you know, they're trying to turn him into a complete player, and that takes time. And, you know, I'm sure that Oliver gets frustrated. I'm sure Barrigan, the coaching staff, gets frustrated. I'm sure the fans get frustrated. But he's a good player, and hopefully he's going to become the player that they hope he will be. Robert asks, do you think the contending teams will try to make trades well ahead of the deadline with so many of the potential sellers pretty much eliminated already? Um, I think that, you know, the old, I think, Jimmy Rutherford approach, I can remember when he was in Carolina years ago when they won that cup in 06, and he went out and got Doug Waite, uh, like, in maybe late uh, January, you know. He tries to, you know, his thinking was, you know, if we're going to try to get, we're going to get a guy, let's try to get him sooner than later to give him a couple even extra weeks to, to kind of get uh, settled in the community and get settled within the team and find a place and the whole thing. And so I think, yeah, teams would like to do that in a perfect world, but, you know, we don't live in that world. And the teams that are sellers, and I think it's pretty defined already. Yeah, especially in the East. Yeah, the teams that are sellers, you know, I think they're looking to drive a hard bargain. So, you know, does does it help them to move early? Or does it make it uh, better for them to see if there's uh, to try to drive the price up on teams that get maybe a little more desperate as we get close to the to the deadline on March 21st this year? So, you know, I think if uh, I think if teams can do it, they will. But you know, we did. I mentioned Ben Sherratt, like a big, strong left shot defenseman that plays a hard, kind of rugged game that is more something you want in the playoffs. I'm sure there's several teams that are interested in him. His contract is expiring, so there's no carryover contract. Uh, you know, so when you have a number of teams and a number of suitors, that could play out over time. So, uh, so we'll see. But I think uh, to the point of the question, I mean, teams, if they could add a guy sooner than later, I think they would, mm. especially if they're not impacted cap-wise. That's another thing that plays this. Sometimes teams wait to have that cap number tick down as much as possible. Uh, Guido says, Don, it's clear that Drury needs to make some moves. The team is playing worse and worse, especially at five-on-five. What moves seem realistic for the Rangers to make before the deadline? You know, EJ, I I don't know how you feel about it, but I I don't know if I'd be in a rush to start moving assets to try to make a run this year. If I can get something that can help me long-term, sure, I would do it, but I think it's presently constituted. They just need a little bit more time together. I don't don't know if I'm going to want to start selling pieces off at this particular deadline to try to save this particular season. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Now, I would say, I mean, you see the Rangers again. I, I would say you see the Rangers more than me, so you might know a particular need more than, than I might know with this group. They came into the season trying to be, you know, tougher, harder to play against. Uh, I think they've accomplished some of that. Uh, but, you know, again, it depends on the price tag, and if yeah. you know, I bring up Sherrod again. You bring up like you know pieces, like you know, uh, like a, a tough, hard 
strong defenseman for a playoff run this year to support some of your more skilled guys, maybe that's a good fit for them. Again, I would defer to you as you know, looking at well, their you know, at their defense and saying do they want did it would they would another player like that help them? Uh, I mean it's another piece, another hard, rugged guy that can move around your lineup up front. Does that help them be available? What do you have to give up? So I, I tend to agree with you, I'd be really careful about what I wanted to trade away. But I think they can afford to trade away picks at this point based on the number of prospects they have. I, I, I don't like you said, they don't have defensemen at the NHL store to go and buy. I mean you'd like to get a strength yeah. it'll strengthen up the third pairing a little bit, but I don't know how important that is. A right winger certainly would help, um, for sure. But again, the asking price has to be right, and and I think because you look at because the fans get frustrated, right? Is Kako where he's supposed to be? Is Lafreniere supposed to be, you know, where he is? And, but I'm not giving up on those guys by any stretch, and so they've got to play. You get Heedle back. Uh, all I say about what's happening with the Rangers right now, five on five is an issue, and shots on goal. Their Corsi has it shows you that it's not where it's supposed to be five on five. But, you know, you're playing without Kako. You're playing without Heedle. Um, that affects your top two lines for sure. Um, and Fox. Fox is a Fox is a big deal. Even though Schneider, I think, has played well, I don't think he's ready to run point on the first power play unit. Everything gets affected with Fox, right? Your power play gets affected. Your five-on-five five play, yep. your movement out of the zone, all of it gets affected when a guy like that is out. So um, I wouldn't get too freaked out over the last three games for sure. And Johnny, let me pose this to you. Where are you with Brian Stroke? Yeah, I mean, are you? Yeah, yeah. It's a tough spot. And and, yeah. and what kind of money are you going to give Kako? Like, there's a lot yeah, of situations financially they've got to deal with here. And Strom is a major piece to their power play. He's a really good center for them. Yep. His chemistry with Panarin is terrific. But at what price are you willing to pay for that? And how does it affect you moving forward yep. when you've got money allocated to Zabanajad and the money that you gave Kreider? There's, there's a lot of things that also you have to think about that I think fans sometimes don't. That's why Pavel Bushnevich is not here. That was not a fair trade with St. Louis, but they were not able to afford him. Exactly, yeah. And it's unfortunate because he's been a really good player for the Blues and he was a good player for the Rangers. But yeah, I think they knew what they were giving up, but... Yeah. You know, it's... And it's unfortunate that Sammy Blay got hurt because, you know, Sammy Blay is one of those guys that would would help the Rangers in the playoffs, for sure. And in those games where the games are more physical and, you know, unfortunately he's not part of the picture right now. So you go out and get him, you try to get another piece like that. So that... It'll be an interesting few weeks for Chris Drury, that's for sure, in his first go-around as the guy that has to ultimately yeah. make the decision. All right, buddy, I know you got to run. Thanks for the time. We'll talk to you next week. You got it, my friend. All right, that Take is the great EJ Raddick. Watch him on NHL Now, Monday through Friday on the NHL Network between the hours of 4 and 6 Eastern. So, a lot going on here as we enter the month of February, get into the second half of the season. we got All-Star coming up. Some teams are going to be taking some significant breaks in the first portion of February, uh, but there's still a lot of important hockey to be played here, and we've got uh, some big games coming up tonight uh, in the NHL to tell you about uh, as we play the last day of January. Maple Leafs home for the Devils. Panthers are in Columbus taking on a Blue Jackets team that's starting to play a little bit better. 7.30, the Blackhawks home for Vancouver. Edmonton looking for their fifth in a row. They'll be in Ottawa to take on the Senators. And the Red Wings taking on the Red Hot Anaheim Ducks. So 
Should be a lot of fun down the stretch here. Back with you again on Wednesday. We'll finally get everything back to normal. I really apologize again. Just a lot was thrown at me last week, and I just could not get the uh, the podcast up. But I wanted to make sure I got something in today. So you want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. A lot of tweets we still want to get to. If we didn't get your, to yours today, we'll definitely get to them on Wednesday. We'll talk to you again then. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.